Genesis 39, you know that we've, as we looked at Joseph last week, we discovered that he was a type of Christ. A type is a, a word picture, it's an analogy. Uh, it's something that the average person wouldn't see, but those that become students, we can read between the lines and we can make connections and, and we can learn about Jesus by looking at Joseph. And so we're doing that again in Genesis 39, the next, the next step in the story. Remember last week we learned that Joseph had been betrayed by his brothers uh, and, and uh, was thrown into a pit and lost his uh, coat of many colors that represented God's blessing in his life. We pick up our story here in verse 39. Verse, um, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmael, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So his brothers sold him to this, this caravan going down into Egypt, trading goods. They, uh, caravans, merchant caravans were kind of like truck drivers. They would pick up a load here, they would take it down there and sell it, pick up a load there, load up and head back the other way. But instead of using semis, they used camels. And so they purchased him, the, Joseph, the, the character, key character in our story, they, they purchased him and they took him down to Egypt to sell him as a slave. And there he gets purchased, probably at an auction kind of thing, by this man Potiphar, who's fairly well-to-do, he's captain of the guard. So he's got some official capacity working with the king's administration, or pharaohs. So the first thing I want us to see from that verse we just read is the humiliation. Joseph is again a type of Christ. Joseph was humiliated. I mean, he's a servant. He started out being the favorite son of this pretty wealthy, blessed of God man, Jacob. He favored son, honored position, in and out of the home. And now he ends up a servant, a slave, owned by somebody else. For us Americans, that's, that's just a concept we don't, we don't even like to think about. I don't want to be owned by anybody. Don't want to be owned by the bank. Don't want to be owned by creditors. Don't want to be owned by other people who have something over my head. That's right. I'm an American. I want to be free. I want to be independent. I want to stand on my own two feet, right? But he ends up a slave right where he does not want to be. He goes from prosperity to poverty almost overnight. He goes from being a son to being a slave. This is humiliation. But it reminds me of Jesus, who also was humiliated. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it talks of him, and it says, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant or a slave, and being made in the likeness of men. 
So here's Jesus, the second part of the Godhead, who was around from, from creation. When everything was created, he's been there a part of God all through it all. And now he empties himself of everything he had up there and comes down here to be born a human. That is humiliating. Stop and think about birth, human birth. I mean, the first thing they have to do is clean you up. You come out a mess. They smack you on the backside right off the bat. Wake you up. Startle you awake so you breathe. And then you spend the next months completely dependent on somebody else. A mom and a dad. And if you have a mom and a dad are too busy, they got other things going, they don't give you the attention that you feel like you need, that's a problem. That's For him to leave everything he had in creation and come down here, that is a humiliation. So here's the first way out of nine. I got nine of these points. As you can see, it fills your page up. Nine characteristics of J Joseph that remind us of Jesus. Here's the second one. I'm going to call it the expansion, and I think you'll see why when I read it in verses 2 and 3. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Let's stop right there because uh, uh, there's another thought we're about to get into, but let's look at this one first, the, the expansion. Here's a man who finds himself a servant. Go do this. Go do that. Hurry up. But his master soon finds he's pretty good at everything. I mean, he's organizational. He's creative. He knows how to work with the other servants. This guy is highly productive. Everybody that's ever been a supervisor just longs for an employee like that. Because Joseph knew what his master wanted. He just could, he, he, it didn't take him long to figure out what the goals were of his master so that he could solve the problems and make all these things a success. The Lord was with him even in Potiphar's house. This is, this is an amazing part of the story we don't want to miss. You can be where you don't want to be, and the Lord will still be with you. Amen. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's a promise we have. No matter where, what happens in life, no matter how you end up, no matter what the twists and turns and difficulties and disappointments in life, the Lord goes with you. Amen. And when Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him, it was visible. Even to the, the non-Christian, even to the unbeliever, people could just see God's favor is on that guy. Come on. It's, it's the expansion. He is growing. He's under constraints, but he's growing. Great lessons in this for each of us. The Lord made everything prosper in his hand, kind of like King Midas. Remember that story? Everything he touched turned to gold until 
he discovered some things he was touching he didn't want to turn to gold. And what, what began as a blessing ended up as a curse. Prosper in his hand. It was the Lord that made things prosper in his hand. It wasn't Joseph because he was so bright and received such a great education back, back home. It was because the Lord was with him. And whatever he does, wherever he goes, the Lord's with him. And I need to keep reminding myself of that. The Lord is with me because sometimes I forget. Sometimes I get insecure. Sometimes I get fearful because I forget the Lord is with me. I need to keep reminding myself. I could, I, could, I could find a lot of peace in life if I just remembered the Lord's with me. The Lord's with me. Why am I worried about that? The Lord's with me. He's going to take care of that. In Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13, we read this messianic prophecy about Jesus. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. That's talking about Jesus. He's my servant will prosper. The same thing we're seeing happen with Joseph. So we see that Joseph, here's the second way that Joseph is a type of Christ because he prospered at what he set his hand to. And Jesus said this in John 16, 33. He said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, everybody say that with me, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In this world, Jesus is predicting, he's prophesying, he's making a promise to us. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. In other words, the overcoming factor for us is to have connection with Jesus. Because he's the one who's overcome the world. The expansion factor. Let's go to the third one because I got nine of these and only a limited amount of time. Look at verse four with me. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Everything. Is there anybody that you can entrust everything you own to? Don't don't we don't we kind of like to have a little bit of control of our little bit here? You know, I I'm like a lot of you guys. When I get my paycheck at the end of a week, it goes into my wife's hands. I trust her to manage my finances. I trust her to keep the electric bill paid. I trust her to make sure there's always uh, some, some food in the refrigerator and a little bit of snack in the cupboard. I trust her to make sure that my clothes are always ready to go. I, just, I trust her with my finances. But I always like to have this little stash over here. You know what I'm talking about? This little extra money. I always like to have that. I'm kind of afraid to tell her. You know what I mean? I better move on. Number four is the satisfaction. 
Jesus satisfies, Joseph satisfied. Joseph satisfied his master. He didn't have to worry about anything. I'm sure it didn't start that way. I'm sure Potiphar said, okay, Mr. Mr. Servant, this is your job. Take care of that. And when he saw that Joseph was faithful in that area, made that area prosper, he gave him a little bit more. Then he gave him a little bit more and a little bit more. That's, that's kind of how we work with our children, isn't it? You give them a little bit of responsibility and you watch and see if they're going to drop the ball. And if they do okay, you give them a little bit more responsibility. As they get a little older, you give them a little bit more responsibility. This is what Potiphar's doing with Joseph until he finds out this guy is multi-talented. This guy is good at everything he sets his hand to. This guy makes money for me. He prospers me. So I'm going to give him more and more. As long as he keeps ma making money for me, I'm going to give him more and more opportunity. Until Joseph is like number one in the household. He is the, the, the in charge of everything. He's like the, the chief superintendent of the whole household. We don't know how big that was, how many how many of that entailed, but he was just good at it. And he pleased his master, which reminds me that Jesus pleased his father. You don't, you don't see a whole lot of miracles in Jesus' life until he was baptized. When he was baptized, they saw people around saw this dove came down out of heaven and rest upon him and he heard this booming voice come out of heaven and said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased that was the beginning that wasn't the end that was just the beginning in John chapter 8 verse 29 we read and he he who sent me, Jesus says, he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. The, Jesus wanted to do what pleased the Father. This is a good goal for us. Do you want to do what pleases the Father? Or do you want to do what pleases you? Do you want to do what pleases other people? Because other people aren't going to walk through crisis with you. It's God who's going to walk through the crisis with you. So we should be well pleasing to the Father. So this is the satisfaction. Joseph satisfied his master. Jesus satisfied his father. Which takes us to verse 5. Here's, here's the next one. Story continues to unfold. From the time he put him in charge of his household... And of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Both in, in, in the household matters and out with his flocks and herds and crops. Potiphar's just good at everything he sets out to do. You don't find many people who are multi-talented. Somebody's really good at this or somebody's really good at that. But Joseph's just good at everything. Well-rounded individual. And he's a leader. I'm going to call this the extension. The extension. Because it didn't just the blessing didn't just rest on him. The blessing flowed out 
to others around him and bless Potiphar. Potiphar's house was doing really well. Everything Potiphar had. The Egyptian's house was blessed because Joseph was there. That tells me that you and I who have the Spirit of God living inside of us, we ought to be the most invaluable worker in the workplace. We ought to be the people who come up with creative ideas to, per, to, to, to increase productivity, to cut back on waste, to build relationships so people aren't at odds with one another. We should be the peacemakers there. We should be absolutely indispensable to our place of employment. Not just somebody that works there. We should be leaders. The extension, the Abrahamic covenant says you will be blessed to be a blessing. Not blessed because I promised to bless you, but there's a purpose. There's a method to the madness here. You will be blessed so you can be a channel and bless other people. And Joseph's Joseph's employer was blessed because Joseph was there. This is good stuff. You're blessed to be a blessing. And when we look at Joseph's life, we see a mess. We see a bunch of chaos. He's betrayed by his brothers, uh, lost, lost and soon to be forgotten by his father. He's a servant. But there's a method to God's madness. It looks like Joseph's been treated unfairly, but God is developing something in Joseph that's yes. very valuable. Amen. God is developing something in you that is very valuable, although you can't see it now. All you can see is the injustice around you. But God's developing something. So let's go to uh, the first part of verse 6. We're looking at the reputation here. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So notice Potiphar, the owner of the household, he's got life pretty well. He just does what he wants to do, doesn't worry about things, because Joseph's the one who's worrying about it. Oh, this broke down. Joseph fixes it. Oh, this isn't going well. Joseph fixes this. Oh, you have an enemy that's caused a problem. Joseph fixes it. Potiphar doesn't have to worry about anything. Joseph's just managing things fine. The reputation. In the last half of that verse, which we're going to get to in just a minute, he's called a goodly person in the King James Version. Goodly. Goodly. What does goodly mean? Also says he's well favored. Hmm, wonder what that means. We'll talk about that again in a little bit, but I want to focus on that goodly. He's called a goodly person. Somebody came to Jesus one time to ask him a question and called him good master. Good master. Jesus interrupted him right away and he said, he said, well, I think we have it up here. Mark chapter uh, 10, verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now Jesus wasn't saying, I'm not good. Don't call me good. He's probing. He's fishing. He's saying, why do you call me good? 
only God is good. What are you implying here? Where, where, where's your, where are you coming from when you call me good master? Because only God is good. And then he told this parable about good that's found in Luke chapter 6 verses 43 through 45. Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What fills your heart, what is down on the inside, is going to come out. Nancy Honeytree used to use the illustration of a couple of buckets. This person has a, a bucket of honey over here, and this person over here has a bucket of acid. And when those buckets get kicked, what's on the inside gets splashed out. If you have honey in your heart and you get kicked, honey spills out. But if the same person comes and kicks this bucket that's full of acid, it's acid that spills out. The kick has nothing to do with it. It's what's in the bucket that has everything to do with it. If you're one of these people that pop off and you, and you can't control your temper when somebody kicks you, that just exposes what's in your heart. It's a test for you. We need to get our hearts right with God. We need to get a little honey down in there. We need to get a little bit of the love of God and not just the self-preservation that comes out. The reputation. The reputation. Let's go to number six as our story is unpacking here and it starts getting good. Last part of verse six. Now, Joseph was well built or goodly and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? And though she, she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. This is the temptation. The temptation. Notice that Joseph wasn't tempted by his brothers. He was tempted by the Egyptian. The world is what tempted him. We all have to deal with temptation. Some things really aren't temptations. You know, 
it is impossible to tempt me with sushi. <laughs> Not even a temptation. Some things I just naturally run away from. But there are some things that are temptations for me. Real issues for me. There's nothing in the New Testament about Jesus being tempted with a woman. But he was tempted. He was tempted in areas that were real temptations for him who came to this earth to, re to reclaim it. Those were real temptations. And he was tempted with that. And he had in his back pocket a real quick come back to every temptation Satan threw at him. And it was, there were three. It is written. This is what God says. In the Bible it says, he kept saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. Now you can't use that line if you don't know what's been written. That's why we need to expose ourselves to the Word. That's why we need to hear it preached to us. That's why we need to read it and remember it. Yes. Re, uh, recall, recite it. We need to keep working at it because it's the Word of God that gives us life. It'll set us free. Amen. The temptation. So what's wrong with Potiphar's wife anyway? I mean, she's got the perfect husband, doesn't she? I mean, he's got a great job. He brings home good money. He provides this really nice home for her. She's got these servants that take care of every need. She's got all the furniture she needs, all the dishes, all the jewelry, everything she needs. She's got it because Potiphar is a success. But if you're going to be a success in the world, you've got to build your success. So he's out relating to other business people. He's building his empire. He's building his career. He brings home a good check and puts it in his wife's hands. She's got everything she needs, right? But she's home empty. All this stuff. And she doesn't have a relationship that satisfies her. Because Potiphar's off making money, being a success. And she feels hollow and empty. And here comes Joseph, multi-talented Joseph. Success at every turn, Joseph. Who's in the house every day. Whatever Potiphar's wife says, would you give me this? Would you give me that? He's right there. He listens to her talk. He listens to her problems. Potiphar's off making money. He's not doing that. Now, I'm, I'm sure this, this proposed affair, because it went on day after day, I'm sure this didn't start with just, hey, I've got an idea. It probably started with some casual flirting. It started with exchange of compliments. It's, it started with, 
a little bit of relationship that grew and matured until finally it's at a breaking point for her. And when there's nobody around, nobody around to tell the story to Potiphar, she approaches him. And she grabs a hold of him and she said, this is the time, come to bed with me. And he pulls away from his cloak. She's got it in her hands and he runs out the door. This is temptation. He's a type of Christ who had temptation. And with each temptation, Jesus responded, it is written, it is written. He was resistant to the temptation. Joseph was resistant to the temptation. And you and I better be resistant to the temptation because Satan knows how to foul us up. How does he know? He can spot our weaknesses. How can he spot our weaknesses? He's just got to watch our lives because we tip our hand. We let him see where we're weak. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. All right, let's go on with this story. Let's unpack it, see how it goes. Verse 13. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew that has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story, that Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. This is the accusation. And your reputation, just like Joseph's, is only as good as what people are saying about you. You hear what I'm saying? Your reputation isn't what you think about yourself. Your reputation is what other people think about you. Right or wrong, that's your reputation. This is why gossip is so dangerous in our world. And Facebook amplifies it. We get to spread gossip and everybody reads it. And we can destroy someone's reputation. In Matthew 26, verses 59 and 60, we read this about Jesus. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward. So we see here that Joseph is accused by a liar and Jesus was accused by a liar. False witness is a lie. It's not the truth and it destroys reputations. In the book of the prophet Zechariah in chapter 3 he makes a messianic prediction. This is a prophecy that pertains to Christ when he comes. 
It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel and Satan standing at his hand to accuse him. Now he showed me Joshua the high priest. Do you know how the old, the Hebrew name Joshua converts over into English in the New Testament? Jesus. Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, it's the same word. So this is a prediction that nobody could have for, for understood, but we can. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Satan is standing at the right hand of Jesus to accuse him to silence his word. He also stands at the right hand of the Father accusing you because you're a brother, brothers and sisters. He's the accuser of the brethren. So we see this the, the New Testament is explained here in the Old Testament as we look at these, these stories. So there's an accusation, accusation that's been made. Look at verse 19 and see what happens next. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. I bet he did. He's angry. And Joseph cannot defend himself. He's got Potiphar's wife making the accusation. She's got his cloak in her hand. And all the servants have heard the story. How do you defend yourself in a situation like this? There's not one hint that Joseph attempts to defend himself here. There's nothing he can say. Which reminds me of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, here's another prediction of the Messiah. It says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus didn't defend himself. Joseph didn't defend himself. That's a hard place to be. I've been there when someone has spread an untruth about me. And the only way I could defend myself is to destroy the other person. And I chose not to do that. So I had to keep my mouth shut. That's not easy. I want, to, I want to look like the good guy. I want to defend myself. I want, to, I want you to think good about me. But there's sometimes you just keep your mouth shut because you know God's going to take care of it. And you have to keep coming back to God's going to take care of it. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, we read this about Jesus. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. This is submission. This is the submission. Lord, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to go through this pain and agony. I really don't want to be crucified. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That needs to be the end of every one of our prayers. When we go to God and we make claims and promises and are asking, asking him to intervene and do great things, 
We always need to say, nevertheless, your will, not mine. And sometimes that's going to cost us. But we know God's always got our back. We know that you can always count on God. I can always count on God. I can't count on my brothers. I can't count on my supervisor. I can't count on his wife. But I can always count on God. I can always count on God. Everybody say that with me. I can always count on God. Say it a little louder. I can always count on God. Keep telling yourself that. Build your faith up because you can always count on God. Here's number nine. It's the last point. I've got three minutes to finish. Verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. This is the detention. He was detained. When Jesus was brought before Pilate, Pilate heard the accusations, and Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Nevertheless, if you want to crucify him, crucify him. He found no fault in him. Now I find it interesting that Potiphar's wife came over a period of time, day after day, trying to get Joseph to go to bed with her. That tells us something about Potiphar's wife's marriage. Day after day after day. And when Potiphar, who owns Joseph, has the authority to execute him, when he finds out what his wife says happened, it says he was angry. But it does not tell us who he was angry at. Just that he was angry. See how it fits the parallel? Pilate didn't really believe the charge against Jesus. And it looks like Potiphar really didn't believe the charge against Jesus. But Joseph goes to prison anyway because Potiphar would lose control of all his servants if he doesn't make him pay some kind of a accountability. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, it says, And now behold, bound by the Spirit, Paul says this, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. Behold, bound by the Spirit, in other words, he says, I'm free. I want to do what I want to do. But I got arrested. They handcuffed me. The Holy Spirit is taking me to Jerusalem. And I don't know what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem, but I have to do this. I've been detained. I've been arrested. Have you yet been arrested? Has the Holy Spirit stepped into your life and put on the handcuffs and led you away? I have didn't lead me away to jail but he led me where I needed to be Come on. 
I didn't like it at the time, but I've come to like it because God's led me into freedom. I didn't understand I was in bondage. He was taking me out. So God arrests us. The Holy Spirit arrests us. And I'm wondering if just maybe it's not a coincidence, it would be a divine coincidence that you are going through something right now and the Holy Spirit's grabbing a hold of you. And the Holy Spirit's dragging you someplace and you don't know if you want to go, but He's taking you there because that's where you're going to find freedom. That's where you're going to prosper. That's where you're going to be successful because God has got promises He wants to fulfill and He doesn't want you staying where you are. If you're hurting on the inside, that could be the click of the handcuffs. And the Holy Spirit is compelling you. He's arresting you. He is moving you where He wants you to be. I'm preaching to myself. I'm getting encouraged here. <laughs> Let's stand together. So think about yourself. Think where you might be. Why are you going through this? Why are you where you are? Is it because God's abandoned you? Band has abandoned you? Or is it because God is trying to take you someplace? Stop and think about it. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters here today that you've given us this Old Testament story full of truth, full of relativity. You want it to relate to us. And we ask, God, that you would just move in our lives. Help us to learn from this story that sometimes in many ways we are just like Joseph. And Joseph didn't know what tomorrow was going to hold. Sometimes it'd be good news. Sometimes it'd be bad news. It was an adventure journey. Father, help us to see our life is like that. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But we know we can always count on you. You're always in control, even when we're not. So God, work in our lives. Strengthen us. Help us to be the people you want us to be, regardless of what happens tomorrow, because you only have good intentions for each of us. So as we walk out of these doors and we go back to our homes and go back to our schools and tomorrow go back to our places of employment, we ask you'll help us to remember what we've learned here. That this is a pattern. It happened with Joseph, it happened with Jesus, and it happens with us. Help us to walk into freedom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.